Hey guys, remember me talking about that Ready Player One audio book that was read by Will Wheaton that I really recommended? Well, right now you can listen to it for free because today's episode of Cosmic Potato is brought to you by Audible.com and you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash potato. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 players. So check that out today. Thanks, and let's start the show. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. But, so, I don't know, I mean, I do like some of the comic book movie stuff out there, but, you know, I'm also so busy with my job, mm-hmm. um, I, I would love to be a very big reader, but I can't actually sit and read a book, I have to kind of listen to the audiobook and do it while I'm working, so, I mean, or I'll have like a, a show up. Like, I'll have it playing on my tablet on my desk, so I watch a lot of stuff that way. But when it's something I actually want to, like, watch, watch, I'll wait until, like, that evening after dinner and then watch it that way. Yeah. There's also so much, yeah, there's also so much content out there now, too, that you can can barely catch up with anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, between Hulu, Amazon, and Netflix, it's like they could not add another thing tomorrow and I will have enough content to last me for the rest of my life like if they just had whatever they had Mm -hmm. up there and just never took anything down and never added anything yeah like enough to last a lifetime well I was telling Sean like I put something up on uh, Facebook where I just recently watched the second Captain America the Winter Soldier movie Mm. and I liked it and I thought it was good I always find uh, Batman to be a little more compelling because he's not a superhero and he's just a normal guy in a suit mm-hmm. with a bunch of expensive gadgets. Yeah. Uh, no, I, mean, I... I did. Oh, Sorry. continue. I, continue. I did... <laughs> Thank you. I did like Guardians of the Galaxy. I loved that. Mm. Uh, actually, the Captain America Winter Soldier is probably my favorite Marvel movie because um, I think it's just like so it's such a great story. And like, they have that whole like push pull of um, like his struggle with the morality of, of shield and like the fall of shield and stuff like that. And then like his struggle with being a soldier where like um, his, the organization he's working for is morally corrupt. So I really like that whole thing. And it has like a lot of tinges of spy movie, like mm-hmm. 60s cold war spy movie stuff. So I, I really enjoy that kind of genre. Um, but uh I like Guardians of the Galaxy too, but less so as I get away from it because, like, it's it's fun, but it's kind of like I mean, it's just just like mostly strong based on the characters and less so on like the plot itself because it's just like a 
around like a one giant MacGuffin. Right. Um, I think a lot of that could have been James Gunn and his directing. Yeah. And like the characters themselves are so fun to watch. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I'm a bigger, I'm a big fan of Batman too, but like in the Marvel verse, probably winter soldier was my favorite one. And really, yeah. mm-hmm. it's just the genre that appeals most to me. I think one of the things that Marvel does really well is like, have this formula but change it per like genre so each movie is the marvel play off of that genre so you have captain america winter soldier as the spy movie um guardians of the galaxy as the space romp um what else you have uh ant-man as the heist movie etc so yeah my take on marvel (laughs) (laughs) I'll get around them eventually. I haven't seen Ant Man. It's okay. Ant Man was, I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't the best. I mean, it was, a, it's a good, I guess, a good filler episode, but or I call it episode, but you know, filler uh, the, uh, movie out of the the whole series. But well, we're not putting this in the show, are we? Are we recording? Yeah, I'll probably. Yeah, I mean, we're recording. Okay. I'm well, not, so somebody I know that I'm not going to say who, but. When, after Ant-Man came out, they were like, you know, that can't happen because when, when he would shrink down, he would be so small, the, the air pressure, and he wouldn't even be able to hear because the bones in his ears would be so small. And I just said, like, this is a movie, and you're an adult. <laughs> like, just sit down, watch it, and enjoy it. Okay. You know, being all nitpicky of, like, how Paul Rudd's character actually wouldn't be able to see because, you know... His eyes would be so small, and he'll be blah 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 with the light and adapted to this and yeah. that. Yeah, that's a ridiculous nitpicky thing to say. It, it is. Like, it's a superhero movie. That they're here for escapism. We're in the yeah. same, we're in the same universe where there's a man that throws a giant hammer and then lets it sling him wherever, <laughs> wherever yeah, he mean, wants to go. So and yeah. he's like an alien god. So you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, even more ridiculous. The the Incredible Hulk can bulk up, but somehow his pants never rip off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though his his waist extends like you know fourteen times the size of it that it was, but pants still on. Yeah, he has to get those super elastic kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> magical pants. This is Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. My name is Sean, and uh, we've been having some technical difficulties today, but we're we're getting everything going. Uh, you've just heard us talking a little bit about Marvel. One of the things that we were talking about a few minutes ago was the fact that Supergirl and Flash are going to have a crossover. And uh, we're kind of excited about that. I don't know how much of what we said before is going to be in the show, so I guess we need to repeat some of it. But uh, it kind of um, sets up... Uh, well, first of all, I've got Anthony and Hai Chen here with me. Welcome, guys. Howdy. Thank you for having us. And uh, we've got a special guest. Uh, Christina is going to be on in just a few minutes. She's having some uh, Skype issues. But um, this whole Supergirl Flash thing sets up a a, a, a precedent, I guess. It's a, a way for DC to merge all of their TV properties into one universe, the way Marvel's been doing from the beginning. But DC kind of has their stuff spread over networks. You know, Supergirl is on CBS and... Flash and Arrow on CW. He used to have uh, Constantine over on NBC, but it got canceled. But they put Constantine on Arrow, which merged those universes together. So now he's going to be able to merge the Supergirl universe into it. Too. And I don't see it happening a whole lot. I don't think there's going to be a constant 
stream of characters coming over into these universes. I think if they they'll do it this once, then they may do it again, maybe once a season or something like that. I don't think they're going to have these big overarching uh, stories that's going to span all four series or anything like that. But uh, but it's interesting that they're doing it. Uh, now, if if DC would just do like Marvel and get some uh, get some uh, gritty Netflix series, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, who it knows? Uh, a little bit. You we know. have enough grit with their movies, so yeah. I I'm fine with whatever. I'm I'm fine with having the fun comic book oriented like lighthearted shows on tv and then like the gritty universe stuff on the movies so i think that's a good balance so and a good separation as well hi can you guys hear me i can yes. hear you hi i can hear you this is uh this is christina howard uh we're kind of starting over a little bit because of the issues with uh with scott with the other service that we were trying but uh Christina is a uh, designer for Express, and Christina Lee designs, and she's also a very talented uh, cosplayer, and uh, she's also my little cousin, so I may call her <laughs> Chrissy from from time to time. But uh, we we asked you some stuff about cosplaying a few minutes ago. I think we lost all of it. <laughs> okay. So uh, so I just I mean just to I won't make you go back and and re say everything that you've already said, but. Uh, just real quick, uh, if you can, what are what are some of your favorite costumes that you've been able to make for uh, conventions? Uh, one of my favorite costumes right now is um, I have a an Ahura slash communications officer costume um, from the new J.J. Abrams um, Trek, and um, I really love it um, because it it's very simple, but it was actually very complicated to make. I'm really proud of it. Um, but in addition to that, it's, it's actually very comfortable. It's a great con costume because you're, you can be on your feet all day. You can run around, you know, cause you're trying to look at everything, trying to talk to everybody. So you can really move and anybody that's ever really costumed or cosplayed knows that it's sometimes your costumes really keep you from being able to move around very easily. So yeah, this some, is <laughs> some of the guys that I saw at Magic City Con last year. They had really great looking costumes, but they looked like they could barely move. In. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you 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 need help, um, and we we call those people handlers. Um, mm-hmm. They help you get around. They if you're wearing a helmet that you can't see out of very well, they help you get downstairs or navigate your way through um, a crowd of people. Some some conventions are very crowded and. People are everywhere, and they'll step out in front of you, and, you know, it's dangerous. So, And then some people, unfortunately, can't use the restroom very often. Yeah. <laughs> so. But uh, one of the things I asked you about a few minutes ago was the commission that you uh, worked on to make the life-size Darth Vader costume. If you want to tell us a little bit about that, that was a pretty awesome uh, life-size replica that you made. Uh, yeah, um, we, well, it was, uh, for Sideshow Collectibles, um, out in, um, California. Um, they are well known for their, um, smaller scale, um, statues and, um, figurines. Um, but they decided that they wanted to do a full size replica scale, um, line of Star Wars, um, characters. And, um, there was three originally. Um, they did, they wanted to do Darth Vader, um, Boba Fett in Carbonite. Um, sorry, Boba Fett and then Han and Carbonite. Um, and, um, my, um, uh, 
friend and I were commissioned with doing um, Darth Vader. Um, very specifically, it was like a Empire Strikes Back slash Return of the Jedi Darth Vader kind of smashed together because anyone who's a uh, Darth Vader, um, I guess, fan knows that each original trilogy movie, the costume changes fairly significantly. Yeah. Um, so uh, we actually did kind of like a um, a smash up of the two, um, kind of like the the most recognizable version of um, Darth Vader. So I was responsible for the uh, clothing, um, all of the the patterns and the um, all the leather, the pants, the shirt, the the capes, um, everything. And then um, the other two guys on the team um, were more responsible for the props, the the helmet, the the shoulder armor, um, the chest box, boots, etc. And you've also uh, designed a lot of costumes for for theater productions. So what are some of the um, plays that you got to design costumes for? Um, Yeah, so actually I'm a trained uh, costume designer. That's what I went to college for. Initially, um, I was inspired by my nerdy habits, I like to say, um, (laughs) to go into that work. Um, And then I I have since uh, transitioned to fashion. Um, But... Uh, while working in theater, and I, I haven't done any recently, but I, I would like to do some more in the future. But some of the past stuff I've done, a lot of Shakespeare. Um, I worked for a lot of Shakespeare companies. Um, and I've done, well, let's see, amidst, uh, well, um, Much Ado About Nothing. Um, I've done, um, uh, Macbeth. I've done. I've done all the all the Shakespeare's, and then um, one of the, one play that I was my absolute favorite was actually my senior project at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, which we like to call UAB, which was my college. Um, I did a production of The Rivals um, by uh, Richard Brinsley Sheridan. Um, it's an 18th century comedy play. Um, and it's like big 18th century costumes, and it was just my favorite. It's my favorite period, so it's a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Christine is going to hang out with us today and uh, see how she likes the whole the whole podcasting thing. And we're not going to play a game today, mainly because of the uh, the Skype issues that kind of <laughs> kind of got us delayed a little bit. But uh, one thing that we talked about that I think we actually lost the audio on. Uh, I wanted to touch on again was the X Files miniseries. That we that uh, started a couple weeks ago, and uh, I know uh, High Chance said that she's been watching it. Anthony hasn't caught up on it yet. Uh, Chrissy, have you watched any of it? I I tuned in a little bit late, but the, it's really funny. The episode I saw was last week's, and it was the funny episode, I guess, yeah. the filler. And it was like <laughs> there's a lizard man running around, and I was just like, "What am I watching?" <laughs> the attack, the attack of the were monster, where they 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 kind of do a twist instead of a man that turns into a monster, it's a monster that turns into a man. So, uh, but yeah, that's why that's one of the things I was talking about because I had to go back and watch that episode again yesterday, just because when I saw it the first time, I didn't realize it was going to be one of their silly episodes, uh, and, and so I was kind of in the mood for something else and. And I just, uh, by the end of it, I was like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> you know, but I went back and watched it again, and it really is a good episode. You just have to know going in that this is one of the silly ones. And they, they did, they did probably, when the show was on before, they did about one silly episode every season. 
And uh, some of them were going back. They're pretty good episodes. They did X Cops, which was the one where they were on the uh, they were on cops, you know. And they did one <laughs> that was all in black and white, and they were being uh, uh, there was a, a like a Frankenstein monster, and Jerry Springer was there and, <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah, this last one was like that. But one thing that I wanted to mention, uh, without spoiling the show for anybody, we're three episodes in. This is a six episode miniseries. The first and last episodes are going to have to do with the conspiracy that a lot of the original series had dealt with, but they did a retcon in the first episode to kind of wipe out the whole conspiracy and kind of start over from scratch. And I think that's interesting the way they did that because it'll help to bring in people that didn't watch it before because they're not going to be lost. Oh, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, that kind of stuff. But, and plus, you know, Chris Carter came out a while back and said that he was kind of making up the whole conspiracy as he went anyway. (laughs) When we were watching it before, we thought he had this whole thing planned out from the beginning, but he didn't. (laughs) I, I think it's interesting the people that hate the comedy funny episodes and then the people that love them. Cause that, that past episode last week, um, it seemed to be really popular on my Facebook feed with all of our friends. So they were all like, Oh, it's the best episode so far. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if it was the best episode so far because it's just so the comedy episodes are so different, you know, so they kind of, I like them, but they're kind of separated from me. They're not really part of when I, when I want to watch the X-Files and see something spooky, you know, I go for one of the more serious ones, but. Mm. Yeah, it's not really what I associate with the X-Files, cause I haven't seen a lot of the original show. I've only gone through about like the first season. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the earlier episodes are very spooky and like paranoid and kind of moody. Um, but this one like, um, reminded me a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, shows yeah. and it's like a, it's got that kind of fun campy almost self-aware vibe which i enjoyed and i didn't expect really in the show but i still enjoyed it because yeah you know, i'm along for the ride yeah i can see that, that buffy the vampire that's a that's a good analogy yeah yeah um it, it buffy is kind of like um walking the line between being serious and being silly but mm-hmm. they're they're almost like that in every episode yeah, that's like the yeah. whole tone of the show. So. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, you have a, a show titled Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know it's going to be somewhat silly. Right, yeah. Doctor Who's like that as well. It's, yeah. You yeah. Know. I can yeah. see it. Um, oh, and Doctor, Doctor Who, I'm so upset. Doctor Who is uh, not going to be streaming anywhere after this month. Uh, oh, yeah. They're taking it off of Netflix. They're taking it off of Hulu. And... That's I I can't go get my fix now, because, but I think they're mainly doing it because uh, BBC wants to start their own streaming service. I heard about that. Yeah, now, I have. Now everybody's going to have their own streaming service, and we're going to have to pay separate fees for all of. Them. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my understanding too. Is that everyone just wants their own streaming service if they have a show. That's big enough to be like the cash cow, you know. So I think Game of Thrones was like that for HBO. So they started their own streaming service yeah. because of because of Game of Thrones. And they're like, what are people pirating the most? Yeah. When we figure out what that is, and then let's make a streaming service so they have a legal option without getting like this huge cable package. And I guess BBC is just jumping on the bandwagon. Though some people have also said that it could just be because they're finally releasing the, their iPlayer to North America. 
Um, though I, I, I'm more inclined to think that it's more commercial <laughs> in I the actually, streaming. Yeah, I used, I watched a lot of like, when I was watching Doctor Who, I watched a lot of the newer episodes through the iPlayer, um, with, uh, a Chrome extension that was, would change your IP, um, address. Yeah. So you could like say you're in Britain and then you could watch it through the BBC iPlayer. But if they're extending it to the to North America, there'll be no need of that extension anymore. Yeah, so. Netflix is cracking down on that where you won't be able to do that for, for because Netflix in different countries has different programs, mm. and a lot of people were able to go in with uh, third party apps and and make the uh, make Netflix think that they were from the UK when they're actually in the U.S. and and see different things. And now they're cracking down. You won't be able to do that anymore. I see. But other Doctor Who news is uh, that the showrunner, Moffat, is leaving. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, this, uh, this next season is going to be his last season, but that means that the next season is not going to air in 2016. They're pushing it back to spring of 2017. So... There won't be any Doctor Who come out this year other than the Christmas episode. Mm. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a bummer that they're taking it off of Netflix and Hulu and we won't get any new episodes until next year. But I don't know. Anthony, you're not a, you're not a Doctor Who guy, are you? I'm not an anything guy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like I'm working 14 to 16 hour days and I was telling Hi Chan that, uh, what I do watch something i kind of have it on while i'm working i wish i were a bigger reader but i have to listen to a lot of audiobooks as i'm working on some things um although i do save some stuff you know in the evening when i just sit like i'll leave my phone in another room usually when i watch a movie because i don't want to be distracted by anything um but th- those times where i can actually do that are few and far between so i mean just to give you an idea of where i'm at uh, I'm getting into Mad Men now. <laughs> so I started I, I started Mad Men and never finished it. But it's a fantastic I, show. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I, I've only I'm, watched the first season as well. I got into the first season. I'm into the second season. I like it so far. But for everything that I'm trying to do, there's just not enough time in the day. So, you know... When when one of these shows that's on now is at the end of its run and they just put the whole series up on Netflix, you know, four years down the line, then I'll get a chance to see it. Yeah, I've got I've got so many shows on my DVR that I haven't been able to sit down and watch the the uh, what is it the Chronicles of Shannara or whatever that started on MTV recently. I haven't got to watch that yet. I've still got the entire uh, last uh, half of the season of Agents of Shield that I haven't caught up on. Yeah, so. I I also have a whole stack of Simpsons DVDs that I'm going through, and as I'm doing that, I have this uh, companion that's like it's literally like a nine pound book, um, just a companion piece on the book, and I'm watching the episode, reading along about the episode in the book, and then I'm going back and then watching it with the commentary on, and sometimes on some of these Simpsons episodes, they'll have two or three commentary tracks on the same episode. So for that, I'm being a huge completionist and like trying to watch every little bit of that. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see you in about 20 years. <laughs> okay. Well, that's I think, a, there's a lot of Simpsons episodes. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I think I'm going to cut it off at the 15th season because after that, it's kind of unwatchable. 
I mean, you could probably say that just a little sooner than that. But I stopped a long time. The only only time that I actually tune in and watch a new episode of The Simpsons is when they do the Halloween specials now. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I think where I'm at now is either the sixth or seventh season. I believe Conan O'Brien was still writing for them at that point. So, uh, I'm still in the glory years. Okay. Well, let's move into our main topic. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. I, I keep saying tonight because I'm used to doing this show at night, but <laughs> today <laughs> we're uh, we're going to talk about uh, film adaptations, and we're we're doing uh, an adaptation of other media. So any film that is an adaptation of either a, a, a TV show, a video game, a board game, you know, anything like that, we're going to talk about our favorites, and uh, we're going to do a few of. Are actually favorites and maybe one or two of the ones that we actually really hate <laughs> but we're just going to go around the the virtual circle here and take turns and uh christina since you're on this is your first time i'm going to let you go first okay so i think my list is pretty stereotypical i think a lot of people um would agree with some of these but my number one is the harry potter series um yes. i think Considering what they had to do from to translate from the book written source material to film was incredibly complicated. Um, obviously, there's some inconsistencies because there was different directors and stuff. But the, for the most part, they had J.K. Rowling all the way through. Um, I think especially towards the end, the David Yates movies, the latter ones were especially good. Um, and I just outside of maybe Lord of the Rings, I can't really nothing is really topping it as far as translating from a book. So. Yeah, and I, I've read some articles about that where uh, the filmmakers really loved Rowling because she wasn't one of these authors that wouldn't let him change anything. Because when you're when you're taking a book and you're turning it into a movie, you have to change stuff or else the movie's going to be 12 hours long, you know, mm-hmm. for a 400-page book. And Rowling understood that. She understood that they were going to have to cut some things out. They were going to have to combine some characters. They were going to have to do things like that. Unlike uh, whatever this... What's the woman that wrote this uh, Fifty Shades of Grey that came out a year or so ago? E.L. James? I mean, I don't know that. They they said that she was a a nightmare Mm -hmm. on set because she didn't want them to change anything. And they had signed something in her contract that uh they wouldn't be able to do anything unless she okayed it you know so yeah i I have no plans on seeing that film i've heard it's terrible but still well i i saw it and it was terrible and i believe i we saw it on valentine's day like two years ago or whenever it came out and we were having some really really bad windstorms so the picture actually kept cutting out and like the lights kept coming up and uh I kind of said – I leaned over and said this to my wife, like, maybe they're doing this whole sort of, like, immersive cinema thing where they're delaying the gratification of actually getting to the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to see Fifty Shades, um, but I went to see it drunk with some of my friends, and we kind of heckled everyone the entire time, and we were laughing. And uh, there were a bunch of people there on dates, and we were very confused about why we found it so humorous. But it was a hilarious movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. From my experience, anyways. Yeah. The other, the other thing of why it was so hilarious with my experience with it. So they're doing the previews, 
and the theater's dark, and you can still see people walking in. And I see, you know, you're seeing the silhouette of people, you know, because the bright screen is behind them or in front of them. And uh, we see these people walk in, and it's two adults, and then it's a little kid (laughs) who must have been about eight. Oh, my God. Don't bring that kid. They were sitting. education that day. Oh, yeah. Well, they were sitting. They were sitting about two or three rows in front of us. And the entire movie, like, you know, with all the explicit language and nudity and all the content and everything, I was just laughing out loud thinking, like, this kid's face and, like, his reaction to this whole thing during this whole <laughs> this whole experience. So it, between that and the whole film cutting out, like, every 10, 15 minutes, it was uh, a very funny night. It's an awful movie, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and not only that, but it was also basically Twilight fan fiction. The fact that fan fiction could even get that far in life is yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is yeah. Twilight fan fiction. Yeah, she just changed the names. Yeah. yeah, well, Hollywood is kind of, you know, hey, let's microwave some old stuff and try and stir it up again. Mm-hmm. Or, let, you know, they're not as creative as they used to be, in my opinion. Yeah. But, the messages um, in, those, in that movie is, like, so terrible, too. It's just, like, this whole glamorizing of abusive relationships. So, Well, the whole thing is, like, you know, some executive with a calculator and on a desk says, okay, well, the book sold this many copies, and, mm-hmm. you know, if the average price of a movie ticket is X amount of dollars, and we take that, and, you know, 73% of the people who bought the book will see the movie, we'll stand to make this much money. Okay, let's make a movie. And you know, let's, I feel and like, let's sign a three-picture contract with, <laughs> with yeah. the actors and everything. And yeah. apparently the male and female lead, whatever their names are, uh, they apparently hate each other, and... Mm. I mean, just hated each other throughout the whole film. So, well, other than that, I have no opinion. Going back to uh, to Harry Potter, uh, Christine, I didn't mean to take your Harry Potter reference and turn it into <laughs> talking about soft porn for ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that uh, when that series was out, and I was in my adulthood when those books started coming out, but I read them anyway just because I was into the whole wizards and magic kind of stuff and uh the movies are pretty close to the to the film and i was wondering when i read that last book how they were going to do the how are they going to do this movie this movie is going to be 10 hours long but they were the first ones to pioneer this whole deal of taking the last book and turning it into two movies and mm-hmm. i think everybody does that now yeah but. now it's become a cash grab but they yeah. in the harry potter movie it actually does make sense to yeah. split the two because they're two very different movies like the first one is a road trip movie and the second one is a battle movie yeah um but yeah harry potter was like a very formative part of my childhood because I grew up reading them. I read like the first book when I was, I think, in first grade. Um, and I just like bought the ones every year when they got published. Um, and yeah, I like, I know a lot of people who don't like the movies because they don't really capture the more, um, satirical, almost satirical tone of the books. And they kind of, um, you know, they lose a lot of plot points and stuff and they make things a lot more serious. But I think like, as movies by themselves, they actually stand alone really well. Like they're good films, regardless of the source material or not. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think. Uh, go ahead, Chrissy. I'm sorry. I was going to say, yeah, it's totally the same for me. I grew up reading them. I think I was in the eighth grade though when I started with the fourth book had just come out, I believe. 
Is that aging me? That's putting a date on me. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think there's an entire millennial generation that considers, you know, Harry Potter is like our Star Wars, basically. Mm-hmm. We grew up with it and it's just so important to our lives. And I think it's so amazing. It's such a great story. And not only that, but I, I feel like there's a lot of life lessons to be learned in, within the series. So. Yeah. According to um, a lot of studies, of people who grew up in the Harry Potter generation are more tolerant because, you know, there are a lot of uh, Nazi metaphors and stuff with, like, the with Voldemort and his Death Eaters and everything. So people who grew up reading that kind of are be, are able to, like, um, accept more people from all backgrounds. Yeah, I think that was, in a, that was a big study, actually. They, mm-hmm. I remember seeing it when it came out, and they were just talking about how, how much people are, they're, they're more tolerant and just more conscientious in general. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting. If you, want, if you want to laugh, follow J.K. Rowling on Twitter. Oh, she's amazing on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that the, uh, she wrote a play. Uh, yeah, The yes. Cursed yeah. Child. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sequel to the books. It's not a sequel to the movies. And uh, Hermione is played by an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. A grown-up, you know. And they sh- they were catching some a lot of comments on Twitter about why are you turning her into a black woman? And then J.K. Rowling was like, I never said she was white. <laughs> you know, I said she had dark hair or she had curly hair and she had brown eyes. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing, only way I described her in the book, you know. Yeah, so, suspension of disbelief. Yeah, so. I love and, the way and, she just shuts them down like that. Plus the fact that she said that Donald Trump's hair is a horcrux made me, <laughs> made me laugh. Yeah, and she has a lot of fun, like, Harry Potter tidbits that she posts on Twitter, too. So, like, it... She like expands the canon even after the books have been published, just like through her Twitter, and it's great. Yeah. And then into Pottermore as well. So yeah, if you're, Pottermore too. If you get on Pottermore, like you can learn so many new things, and she's always putting out new information, just broadening her world, I guess. And speaking of cursed child, I am so excited. I right at as of this moment, um, it's set to release. I think sometime in the summer. Um, I'm planning on being in London at that time, so I really, really hope that I'm there when it is either in previews or is actually um, live on stage. I really hope I get to see it. Um, I, last time I heard, I, I don't know if they're going to film it and then just try to distribute it that way or if they're going to have, I guess, more um, just like more versions of it out in different cities, like major cities, probably New York on Broadway or something like that. But right now it's just West End. Mm-hmm. Um, and being the theater person that I am, I'm super excited to see two of my favorite things come together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something I'd love to see. And I was kind of hoping sometimes they'll take a big play like that and they'll show a, uh, like a live event at some of the movie theaters around. And I was kind of hoping that they would do that. You know, just to be able to bring American audiences in because there's a lot of people in America that would love to see that play. So hopefully, and not wait like five years or something like that that it takes to get a tour off the ground. I totally agree. There was a little bit of pushback um, when when everyone found out that it was going to be a London only thing for the time being, and they're just saying it's not fair 
to the rest of the world to be denied. Because usually <laughs> in the past, it's like, you know, it was a book or a movie and you could all go to the bookstore at midnight and, you know, yeah. wait in line with everybody else. But for this is like one city only type of thing. And yeah. there's a lot of uh, that's not fair going well, around right now. They need to hold their horses because there, there's always the chance that it could come out and it could suck. So, <laughs> you know, everybody just, need, everybody just needs to hold their horses and make sure that it's great before they start complaining that they haven't got to see it. But hi, Chan, go ahead and do the first one on your list. Okay, um, the first one on my list is also Harry Potter, um, but I guess I'll skip that one because you know, we already did that whole talk. Um, the next one is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, oh, um, book, the books by Stieg Larsson, and um, I've, I've seen both the Swedish adaptation and the American adaptation, but I was a bigger fan of the American adaptation, like the... The Swedish ones are good, and like the um, Noemi Rapace, who was uh, cast as um, Lisbeth Salander, is like amazing in the role. But I really liked the pace and like the tone that the American one picks up. The Swedish ones feel a little cold and more distant, which you know makes sense um, with like the style of the of the book and the story. But I really liked uh, David Fincher's adaptation of it, and. Um, Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig are amazing in the movie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really sad that they're apparently not moving forward with a sequel with either Dave Fincher, Rooney Mara, or Daniel Craig. They're recasting it, and I think, like, having a new director completely. Um, I don't even know if that's confirmed, actually, so. I did uh, hear, I did hear that the sequel, and the last I heard, the sequel had been canceled. Mm. Now, I don't know if they're gonna come back and, and, and make it just with, new actors or whatever, which in my mind, it's not really a sequel at that point. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just an adaptation of another book, but yeah, I think there's talk of, um, Alicia Vikander, who was an ex machina this year and had, was nominated for her role in, um, no, she wasn't. Yeah. She was nominated for a role in the Danish girl, uh, for an Oscar. Um, she is, was cast as Elizabeth Salander, but yeah, I don't know. I I, just, I really love the the girl dragon tattoo American version. It's yeah. so well made. Um, it's tense. It's brisk. It's very um, just like a really great character who was brought to the screen. So uh, we'll see where it goes with the rest of the mo- American movies. But yeah, yeah. can I just I really say? Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Somebody go ahead. <laughs> I was was just going to say really fast that I, the, my, my favorite part of that whole movie was the immigrant song uh, redo. They did (laughs) the cover. It was like Karen O and Kent, uh, Trent Reznor, I guess the very beginning. And the, that's like, that was a fantastic beginning of a film. Like I just loved it so much. It was great. The soundtrack is amazing. Trent Reznor is, yeah, he, he needs some sort of Oscar recognition because he does really great work. Yeah. What were you going to say, Anthony? Oh, just that, you know, I really did like the American version. Uh, I wish they would do more of them. Uh, really good, solid movie. Mm. Well, go ahead with the uh, first uh, on your list, Anthony. Well, do it doesn't have to be good. That's no, it does, I mean, it doesn't, ha- it doesn't have to be. Like I said, we wanted to do uh, some that we liked and some that we hated. So I know I've got All one right. on my list that I hate. <laughs> this is one that I hated. Uh, it, it is World War Z from 2013. Um, 
this was based on a book by Max Brooks, and I would recommend, if you're one of these people where you have seen the movie and you hated it, go to the book, definitely, but don't just get the book, get the audio version of the book, because there was actually a pretty big cast uh, with the book. Uh, Mark Hamill, Nathan Fillion, Paul Servino, Carl Reiner, Simon Pegg did some audio for the book, and so did Frank Darabont, and they played... Like, because the whole thing is, the book is like 10 years after the zombie war, so there's an interviewer going around getting all these stories about it, and each person that he interviews is played by a different person. And just to hear somebody like Mark Hamill giving, or Frank Darabont, like giving a very, very good performance on audio, it's, uh, it definitely adds to it so well. And, they just completely butchered it. I mean, the, for, with the movie, they completely butchered it. Um, Brad Pitt was a producer, and that's kind of why I think he kind of made himself the cool guy that knows everything and is the answer to every question. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's yeah. the hero of the story, yeah. Yeah, with, with his hipster scarf on throughout the whole movie. <laughs> Sorry, Christina. No, uh, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, she's in fashion, so I mean, you know, I really, I really can't say anything about that. But it was definitely like you know, Brad Pitt being the answer to everything, knowing everything, <laughs> being so resourceful, and like, it just didn't work for me because it was totally like, you know, he should have taken himself out and just had somebody in it, somebody else completely in this. Well, it was a completely different, and this is on my list too. It was the one that I was going to say that I hated as well. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, it was a completely different story. It was they they took this book, and in my opinion, that book is the best piece of zombie fiction uh, that I've ever read. You know, as far as film, whatever. You know that that book was awesome, and they could have taken that. Hi, Chan and Chrissy. Have you guys seen this? Um, have you guys ever read this book? I have seen the movie, but not read the book. Get okay. the audience. I haven't. Okay. Well, um, so like Anthony was saying, it's, uh, it's it's somebody going around interviewing people all over the world. So you're 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 getting uh, accounts of the zombie war from different parts of uh, the world, different classes, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, they're all uh, completely different, and yeah. it just it adds so much depth to the story. But the movie was like, hey, let's just follow Brad Pitt as he flies around the world. They just turned it into mm. an action movie, yeah. And th- mm. when I heard that they were making the film, I thought, oh, well, they're going to do it. They're going to do it like they're doing a docudrama. They're going to have this guy going around interviewing people, and there's going to be a lot of flashbacks and stuff like that. But that's not what they did. They just they used the same title, and and. And I saw an interview, not an interview, but I saw Max Brooks. He's got a YouTube video where he's at Comic-Con and he's talking about the same thing. And he said that he really wanted to go into the theater and watch this and hate it because he knew that they had taken his script and completely changed it. There was only one character from the book that was in the movie. And uh, and it was like the Israeli uh, army guy or whatever. So he wanted to go in there and hate it, but what he, what he, found, what he found himself looking at, looking at the film and saying is that this is a good zombie movie it's just not my book <laughs> you know so if you like zombie movies you'll like the mo- you'll like this movie it's not a bad movie it's just a terrible adaptation of this book mm-hmm. because they didn't adapt they didn't adapt anything it's kind of like if you've ever read the lost world by michael crichton that's and, on my list too and then went and watched the movie 
they're completely different. They've got the same title and they got a few of the same characters, but it's a completely different story. You know, they so. did that with Timeline as well. Was, yeah. Isn't that also a Michael Crichton book? It, yeah, it is. It was very the movie was very different from the book. Yeah. And speaking of zombies, I actually saw Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies um, over the Friday night. I guess I was going to ask was you fun. about that. Yeah, I think I saw on Facebook that you were going to see that. Did you like it? I I really liked it. I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, so I will say that if you like Jane Austen, especially Pride and Prejudice, I think you're going to think it's really funny. As long as you have a sense of humor about zombies being in it. (laughs) If you're like, you know, one of those that are really, really like, I want Pride and Prejudice to be perfectly historically accurate or whatever, like, obviously, you are not going to like this movie. Yeah, I started Um, started reading the book a couple years ago, and then I just felt like they were trying to trick me into reading Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) It is very Pride and Prejudice. So, you know, if you... If you're going into this thinking, oh, it's a zombie flick, no, don't. Don't even do that to yourself. It is very, like, they use all the, the same dialogue as from Pride and Prejudice, so it, it can get really boring for people that don't like that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Thank you well, for the warning. I'll be avoiding that one. <laughs> <laughs> Great for girls that like Pride and Prejudice, basically. Yeah. We, we brought it up it. We brought it up on another show, and I said, I feel like that's going to be the one that I'm dragged to see. Yeah. <laughs> I'll end up seeing it, but I'll probably wait until it comes to Google Play or something like that. But Yeah. But I'm going to do the first one on my list. Uh, and I, I kind of broke mine down so that I had uh, different categories. You know, I do an adaptation of one thing, adaptation of something else. And uh, the first one is an adaptation of a video game. And... Uh, Video games have made some terrible movies over the years, but uh, one of the first ones that I remember seeing is actually my favorite, and it's Mortal Kombat, the first one. So, uh, making movies based on games was kind of new in, I think this was 95 when it came out, 94, 95, something like that. And all that we had before that was like Double Dragon and Super Mario Brothers, which were terrible. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) But they took Mortal Kombat, which was a fighting game. It, it had a story to it if you read the little book that came with the game, but it, it the story didn't matter. It was just a fighting game. But they were able to take that and actually come up with a pretty decent story. And, uh, and it wasn't one of these movies based on a video game where they just kind of take the characters and do their own interpretation of it. They actually looked like the way they did in the in the uh, in the game, which is what teenagers. I think I was seventeen at the time, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want to see some guy just take the characters and say, "Oh, I'm going to change this." No, they they looked like they were supposed to look. So that was a pretty cool a pretty cool movie, and uh, it doesn't translate to watching it on TV as well as a lot of films do. This, this was a film that you want to see in the theater because of the loud music that's with it. The crowd that you're watching it with, you watch it on TV later, and it's not really as it's not really the same experience. But uh, but I do if you if you like movies based on video games, this is this is a good one to to go with. Nowadays, they don't really do a whole a whole lot of uh, movies based on video games just because the video games themselves are movies. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, but back then it was it was a pretty cool thing to see. So, hey, Sean. Yeah. So you, so you played the game a lot. I did when I was a, a teenager. I haven't played it in a long time, though. Yeah. Well, A B A C A B B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, and I, I was never really all that great at it. My brother always kicked my butt, but, <laughs> but it was, it, it was a fun game. And it was one of the few games that you could, uh, there was all these, uh, news stories that came out because they had to, uh, the Nintendo version had to tone it down and take the blood out because it was so, they considered well, yeah, that it to be too gory or whatever, so they. No, just, I did not know that. Yeah, they <laughs> took the they took the red where whenever you hit somebody and blood would come out, Nintendo took the red and turned it gray so that huh. they they could say it was sweat, it wasn't blood. You know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, there was also an option to make it green, but yeah, that was that was for the first one, I believe, the blood code. Because if you just would have put the game in the system and started playing it, there wouldn't be any blood. Yeah. But during the like title screen, you do. A B A C A B B, and then that would turn the blood on. Yeah, and then when the second and third ones came out, you could rip you could rip people's heads off and stuff like that. Oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah, they got they got really really excessively violent, but yeah. that was kind of the whole appeal of the games. I mean, I guess it was kind of cool when I was younger, and you would like completely rip out the skull and spine of the, uh, the yeah. person playing and hold, with and hold it up and hold it up oh, to yeah. the camera and everything. Yeah. But the second movie, the second movie was terrible, and uh, it was called Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And I think the second movie is the reason there wasn't a third movie. <laughs> but the uh, but the, but the first one, Anthony, I think you're kind of cutting out a little bit. Are you there? Sorry, I'm here. Oh, okay. They've done other Mortal Kombat movies, I think, though. They've Haven't got they? there was like a web series that came out. It was like some little ten minute uh, episodes that were. Supposedly going to lead up to a movie, but I don't. I, don't I think saw those; they were good. Yeah, but I don't think the film happened, and I don't know if it's going to happen. But okay, Christina, you want to do the next one on your list? Uh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> my second one is one that's pretty controversial. I think most people kind of hate this movie, um, except for a few people that I know. Um, but my one of my favorite adaptations is uh, Superman Returns. Um, (laughs) a lot of people really hate this movie. Interesting. Yeah. So my reasoning for loving this is, um, I, like I said, I, I come from a drama background, so I appreciate the effort, um, by Brian Singer to take what is essentially a comic book, um, movie and that has been done before it's been established is a story that everyone knows and then kind of make it into um, something that explores the human condition more. Um, it's not, it's nothing like any other comic book movie, really. Um, there might be some others that really come close. And I think it was just so very different from everything that people had seen in the past that and they just hated it. They hated the idea of Superman having faults and, you know, uh, Lois having to like move on and, and all these like very like down to earth human choices. Um, and, but from uh, a theatrical standpoint, from a drama um, standpoint, I think it, it it's very interesting um, and gut wrenching actually um, taking some comic book characters that I know and love and, and do it and putting them through that ringer. I, it was just really interesting and I loved it. And not only that, but the art direction was fantastic. I love the art deco to the movie. I felt like it really, out of all the Superman movies um, that has been made um, or and TV shows, it actually really threw back to the 30s 
And that time period, the way the way the Daily Planet looked, the costumes, like what Lois was wearing was very modern, but it was very 30s as well. Yeah. So the costume design was just fantastic. And just the way the Metropolis slash New York looked was was really perfect. Um, A lot of people (laughs) would argue all of that with me, but that's how I. That's how I feel. So, and I'm not. I wouldn't say that I hated that movie. My thing with Superman Returns was that Brian Singer at the time had been known because he was the one that brought the X Men to the to the big screen, and uh, he did a really good job at adapting X Men from comic to screen uh, without changing so much that they were unrecognizable because the X Men. It was kind of hard to make them realistic, you know. But when I heard that he was making a Superman movie, I thought in my mind that he was going to be making it more like the comic book than the original Christopher Reeve films had been. And what we ended up getting was basically another Christopher Reeve film, but without Christopher Reeve in it. It was a sequel, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, used, it used some of the stuff that happened in Superman 1 and 2 as backstory and stuff, which, I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. It was a beautiful, it looked good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it had a lot of good effects and stuff. Just, I was expecting, of course, I get into arguments when people talk, people that hate uh, Man of Steel, because I love Man of Steel, because Man of Steel was more, uh. more of a comic adaptation than what the original Superman films were. But um, and High Chan just made just made a ugh. <laughs> but but, um, but yeah, I, I just I think that the reason that I don't like it is just because it was something that it's not what I was, what I was expecting when I went to see it. Not that it not that, that makes it a bad movie. It's just I didn't really care for it that much. I appreciate what Superman Returns was trying to strive for. Like it had a really ambitious. Um, concept but I think the plot itself was really weak and a lot of the actors who were in the movie didn't realize what movie they were in specifically Kevin Spacey who was you know he's a really great actor and I feel like if you watch him in like the usual suspects and see him as Kaiser Sose oh wait um sorry big spoiler I guess for for anyone who (laughs) hasn't seen the usual suspects I think 25 year old movie it's okay to go ahead and (laughs) well in like any movie any movie that you see Kevin Spacey see him as this kind of um manipulative, scheming type of character. And that sounds like it would be perfect for Lex Luthor, but the Lex Luthor he was playing ended up being kind of this hammy, over-the-top version. I guess similar to Gene Hackman's version in Superman, but it still felt kind of disconcerting with the rest of the film, which was trying to go for like these grand philosophical themes. And then you have Kevin Spacey hamming it up in the corner. Yeah, I, I agree. However, I mean, I like Kevin Spacey in the mm-hmm. movie, so I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like Gene Hackman, I mean, the whole that it's so funny that you say that because it's so true. But at the same time, like everybody thought that that movie was not enough Christopher Reeve version, mm-hmm. and it's so funny because you're right. It's like he really was kind of trying to do that. And so was, so was Brandon Routh. Like he was trying to be Christopher Reeve and you can really see it in there, but like people don't see it. Mm -hmm. Like you, I I don't, I don't know. It's so funny how that works. Yeah. I think some people see it as like 
sort of a not cheap imitation, but a poor imitation of the Christopher Reeve movies, um, which I can see. I mean, I feel like they didn't completely capture the magic of the Reeve movies. So with Superman Returns, um, but I also have more of a, an aggressive reaction against Man of Steel because I thought that they completely completely mischaracterized Superman in that movie. They're trying to put Superman in the Batman mold, which I'm not a fan of. Yeah, they're two different characters. Yeah. The whole second half of Man of Steel could just go away, as far as I'm concerned. Ugh. Like, the first part of it, um, my friends and I always like to say that if you took Superman Returns and you took the first half of Man of Steel and you put maybe molded those together, yeah. maybe they would be what we want, closer yeah. to what we want. But the whole second half of Man of Steel with the whole wrecking of Metropolis was yeah. just ridiculous to me. <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to get a little bit of retconning with that when... Uh, Batman v Superman comes out because I think I think they did they realized that they changed his character a little too much and they'll they're probably trying to go back and fix a little bit of that as mm-hmm. as time goes on but yeah I don't know. I'm happy they're dealing with the consequences of his like wrecking Metropolis yeah to Batman v Superman because like yeah, that's one of cause the driving that, um right yeah. there was a lot of wrecking going on and I'm I'm glad that they're not just going to pretend like it didn't happen you know and yeah. Metropolis is going to be nice and shiny again when. <laughs> <laughs> when the new when the new film comes out, so yeah, I am very excited to see Wonder Woman though in this. Yeah, that looks I just really good. I'm very excited about the whole idea of the new Wonder Woman. I love the way she looks. Everything I've seen so far is really exciting. So I'm hoping that I was really excited about Man of Steel too. So I'm just hoping that you know it lives up to the hype. Don't disappoint us again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Hi Chan, what's the next one on your list? Oh, okay. My next one. Oops. Apologies. Got to pull up my notes again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My next one is... Well, my phone wants to work. Okay. The sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, obviously. (laughs) Um, My next one is 21 Jump Street, uh, which is... Okay, I will admit I've never seen the show. Um, I'm aware of it because I know that it was starring Johnny Depp back in his teenage, um, I guess, idol years. Um, but I was a big fan of the movie reboot with Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill, um, which was way funnier and more clever than I thought it would be. Yeah. So I I really think it was great. And it launched off the second half of Channing Tatum's career, too. So I appreciate that as well. Um, it's just so funny and it's so just like tongue in cheek and self-aware. And I really like that kind of humor. So just laugh out loud. Funny stuff. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that they that they do a lot is take a, a TV show that wasn't funny <laughs> and turn it into a comedy. You know, they did that with, um, which is not on my list, but I'll bring it up. I don't know if you guys ever saw the film version of Land of the Lost Mm-mm. with uh, Will Ferrell. But, yeah, um, I, I've seen the original Land of the Lost, and I, I said no mas when the film came well, out. See, I was a, I was a little kid when Land of the Lost was on, actually on TV, and I know Hai Chen and Christina, you've probably never seen the original show, but it was I loved it. It was a Saturday morning show, and when they made the film, I didn't realize, and I should have realized, knowing that Will Ferrell was in it, I didn't realize they were going to turn it into this PG-13 uh slapstick comedy thing and and i went to see it and it just kind of made me mad (laughs) but uh but yeah they but they do that a lot and 21 jump street i liked the film but watching the film 
I didn't really get anything that made me think of the show, other than the fact that Johnny Depp made a cameo. Yeah. And uh, other than that, you know, I did it didn't it didn't feel like which I remember watching Twenty One Jump Street when I was a kid, and it was it was one of these goofy late eighties uh, cop shows, and uh, it was the same premise, you know, it was some uh, some uh, cops going undercover in a, in a high school and stuff. But other than that, the two really don't have anything to do with one another. It's just the same same concept that this is a comedy, and that was just. I guess if you go back and watch 21 Jump Street, the series now, it's kind of a comedy because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so goofy. You know? I guess you could see it as almost like the movie being almost like a satire of the TV show. Yeah. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Anthony. Next one. All right. My next one is from a book, Jaws. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me for a second. Let me clear my throat. All right, so my next one is from a book from 1975. Uh, it is Jaws. So Peter Benchley wrote the book. I forget exactly when that came out, but, you know, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, I got something in my throat. Of course it's when it's my turn to speak. <laughs> I think the book so, came out, I want to say 71 or 72, something like that. Possibly. Uh, the book was a bestseller, and then they were adapting it into a movie. Um, you know, I saw the movie. Of course, I saw the movie first. I mean, who hasn't seen Jaws? Yeah. Um, and then I went and read the book later. And after reading the book, I actually read another book about it called The Jaws Log by Carl Gottlieb. And he was the screenwriter of the movie, and he actually had an on screen role in it. And that's it's more about the production of the film and just everything that went on, all the crazy stories, all the nothing ever working right and the mechanical shark breaking down and all this and that and all the the crazy locals that they had to deal with during the filming of it. But the book had this whole love triangle story. Um, there was also some involvement with the mayor and the mafia and – in the movie, I'm kind of glad that they just dropped all that. And when you were on the boat with Quint, Brody, and Hooper, when they were going off to find and kill the shark, they just, you were on the boat. You know, they didn't do anything back on land. Everything from that point was just on the boat. Um, the book does have some really good descriptive scenes. And actually, they, they don't even call it a shark that much in the book. They just call it the fish. Yeah. <laughs> But it is it is so descriptive about when and I mean it's just so haunting about they're talking about these people that are get being eaten by this shark and it is so well written and you know for anybody that likes to read uh, um, you know a story about that and go beyond the movie I would definitely encourage that and if you do like it pick up the Jaws Walk by Carl Gottlieb but I'm a huge Jaws fan and I loved it. I mean, the other films that came after Jaws that were not books, I can't really speak for because none of them were really that great. But, you know, Jaws from 1975, that is my pick. Yeah, Jaws, I mean, Jaws 2 wasn't bad, but <laughs> they, yeah, really, but they really compared, started to drop off over that. Yeah, that, yeah, but that, there first was, uh, one, yeah that first one is awesome. One of the producers in an interview, he was saying... Oh well, we had to make Jaws too because if we didn't, somebody else would. Yeah. Because at that time they had like 
Orca came out, which actually I believe had Robert Shaw in it. And they were, you know, other shark movies were kind of coming out and trying to kind of, kind of like those maltbusters you were mentioning on a previous show where they were trying to cash in on the whole, you know, man vs. shark film. So definitely, I mean, you were seeing a lot. And now we have Sharknado. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, (laughs) actually, um, I've... They're all streaming on Netflix, but, you know, please watch Jaws if you haven't already. Alrighty. Well, I'm going to, let's see, the next one on my list, and I'm going to kind of move around because I want to make sure, there's a couple that I want to make sure that I mention, but my next one is going to be, uh, my favorite adaptation of a stage play to film, and that, that belongs to Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, and actually, to tell you the truth, I never saw this film until about a week ago. That was I I had never seen it before. It had been on it had been on TV a couple of times, and I'd seen like little bits and pieces, and I knew about the Alec Baldwin speech at the beginning and stuff, but I never actually had sat down and watched the film. So I watched it this week, and it was a fantastic movie. So yeah, I've always really liked uh, theater. Um, my favorite kinds of plays are the ones that they, where they don't really try to do a, a lot of effects, which I like those kinds of plays, but I really like plays that have more, uh, just dialogue and just characters, uh, talking, you know, and, uh, and that's pretty much what this relied on. And it was, uh, from everything that I've read, I've never actually seen the play. Um, I've read the script, but. This is a, about as straight of an adaptation from the play to the to a film as you can get. They added a couple of things. The whole speech with Alec Baldwin at the beginning, the ABC always be closing, you know, that speech, is uh, not in the play. They added it mainly to fill time because if they had just done the play, it, the movie would have only been like an hour long, you know, maybe an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. And there's a couple other things that they kind of added, but the... As far as the people that was in it, you know, Pacino, Spacey, uh, Ed Harris. Jack Lemmon. Yeah, Jack Lemmon. I think Jack Lemmon is one of the best actors that's ever come out of Hollywood, in my opinion. Yeah, in that movie, he was so good. Yeah. And the actors of that actually showed up on their days off to watch their, their, uh, the other actors do their parts. Even when they weren't required to be on set, they still show up to watch the others act. Yeah. Like that's how much these guys were into it. And you would see Jack Lemon playing this character that's, you know, he's angry that he's not that his his cells are not up and then he would get on the phone with a customer and turn into a completely different guy. <laughs> and it was awesome, but uh the the story's pretty simple. You know, you've got a bunch of salesmen, they're having a hard time, they're facing the loss of their jobs and then there's a burglary. And the movie keeps calling it a robbery, but my economic law professor would tell you that places get burgled people get robbed <laughs> you know so uh but i i love this movie and it's it's one that's going to be on my rotation to go back and watch again um and normally i can't i don't really like alec baldwin i never really watched uh 30 rock a whole lot but this speech at the beginning was awesome and then he just comes in and gives a speech and then you never see him again and he actually when they were filming the the movie he kind of had a clause in his contract that if Al Pacino couldn't couldn't be in the film, he would get to play that part. 
And of course, Al Pacino came in and said, okay, you know, you know, his schedule worked out to where he was able to do it. And then the, the Broadway production that I want to say they're doing it now or they've done it recently. Al Pacino is in that production, but he's not playing that part. He's playing Jack Lemon's part, you know, in the, wow, in the Broadway production, you know, so I think that's pretty cool. Possibly. Maybe he aged into it because the Jack Lemon part, he was kind of the older salesman and yeah. Al Pacino in that movie was kind of the younger, hot, more successful salesman. Yeah, and that could be it. So, but. Yeah, that is so interesting. So do you want to know something, a little fact about me? What's that? Um, because I own my own business and one of the reasons why I can't really watch a lot of too much television and I'm working like 14 to 16 hour days is you know because I'm so busy with the, the hustling. Um, in my wallet over my license, I actually printed out a picture of Alec Baldwin during that speech when he's holding up the brass balls. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's my, you know, a little like every time I open my wallet, that's kind of like my little reality check of, you know, are you working? Are you closing? Are you are you working hard? Or are you slacking off? Yeah. <laughs> nice little motivator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Christina, you're a, yeah. you're a theater person. Have you ever seen Glengarry Glenn Ross? I haven't, actually. I, I know the speech. I've seen it. I know a lot of people are, like, super motivated by that speech. I've heard people say it uh, to each other <laughs> in passing. Ridiculous in guys putting... <laughs> yeah, and ridiculous guys putting pictures of it in their wallet. Mm-hmm. I haven't a... seen that, but I have seen a lot of people <laughs> quote it, for sure. And if you're timid about profanity, you won't like it because the guys that are in the film refer to it as death of an effing salesman. <laughs> because, because I think the F word is said like 130 something times in the film or something. They actually, which, is, yeah. which is another play altogether too. <laughs> yeah. And they talk, um, they talk about leads a lot. If you, if you've ever been in sales, you know what leads are. They talk about leads a lot, but the word leads is in the film less than the F word. <laughs> you know, so it's pretty funny, but. So Glenn, yeah, it's no longer awesome. it's no longer on Netflix Instant currently at the time of recording, but maybe check on Amazon Prime or Hulu see if it's on there. Definitely worth it. I had to watch it on Google Play, and I think I paid like three dollars for it. So, um, there was something else that I was going to say. Oh yeah, Alec Baldwin. Uh, when he was on Saturday Night Live a few years ago, he did a he did a skit. It was a Christmas episode. He did a skit where he was in Santa's workshop and he was giving that speech to the elves. <laughs> if, you, if you watch the, if you watch the Christmas special when they show it every year, you can probably go on YouTube and find it. It's pretty funny because he, it's just, he goes through the speech and he actually flubs the line because at the end, when he's pointing to the chalkboard and he's supposed to say ABC, he's supposed to be saying always be cobbling, but he messes up and says always be closing. And he says, you know, so uh, whoever wins this contest is gonna get a shiny red toboggan. You know it's you know it's like a, you know what second place is second place is a box of candy canes. Third place is you're fired. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Or Christina, you can go ahead and so go ahead and give us the the next one on your list, and we'll go ahead and start. Um. Well. Okay. So. And since we're talking about theater, um, I'll just go ahead and give my book to theater. Uh, adaptation. My favorite is actually Wicked. Okay. Um, and a lot of people, you know, love Wicked. Um, may not realize that it was originally a book, um, but it is the sequel to Wizard of Oz. Um, I mean, prequel. Excuse me, to Wizard of Oz. And uh, the book is 
the book is really all over the place. There's a lot going on. Um, and what they did is they picked out like a particular strain through the book and, and kind of focused on it a little bit um, for the play. Um, and just it just became this huge like Broadway, you know, thing. Um, and I think that um, you're, you're talking about, um, Sean, you were talking about uh, plays that have more dialogue and less flashy. Obviously, Wicked is pretty flashy. Yeah. Um, it, you know, because it is a Broadway play, which is a lot about, you know, all the special effects and the pizzazz and all of that. But um, it's such a great adaptation. I feel like they they normally this is kind of sacrilege, but I wouldn't normally say this, but I think it's so much better than the book. Um, they took the source material and made it so much better. I think a lot of people feel that way from what I can tell. Um, but I. I always really liked it, and then I had the um, pleasure of um, working on it um, when it came through Birmingham a few years ago, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. It stopped at our convention center, the BJCC, and yeah. I happened to be working there, and they someone got sick. <laughs> and so they asked me to come on and be wardrobe and to get to see it behind stage. It's, a, it's a, like a fantastic um from a tech standpoint, like that, that what goes on behind stage is, is really crazy. Cause there's like the flying machine and the bubble machine, you know, if you've ever seen it, um, there's a lot of flying and floating and all that stuff, trying to rep- replicate the magic, I guess, for the witches and, mm. um, and the wizard and everything. So, um, but other than that, I feel like the, the story is just so good. Um, it's so clever because it just, it t- took the Wizard of Oz and just really like twisted everything around. Everything you think about it is actually the other way around. So mm. it's really, really cute and clever. Yeah, I've only see- I've only read the book. I actually have never seen the musical. I've been meaning to because I heard it's amazing. But yeah, the book has a lot of really complex political themes running through it, and I think sometimes it went over my head. Um, so I. I was interested to see like how they adapted that into a musical that's been like so beloved and is generally not seen as like overly complex or um, dense. So I, I need yeah. to see that musical. Oh one yes, of the, definitely. One of the things I want to do is uh, take a trip to Broadway and see a show. Don't know what yet. I mean, I would love to see a Mel Brooks show on Broadway, but you know, we'll have to see what's out there. And I think Young Frankenstein, they're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Mm. I've, I've read, I read the book. I read Wicked. Um, it's been years, it's probably been 10 years since I read the book. Never saw the play, but aren't, aren't they making a film version? Of they, the that's been the rumor. They, I don't, I'm not going to believe it until I see it on IMDb or something yeah. like that. Um, but it, it's been an on and off again rumor. Kind of, kind of, um, speaking of Mel Brooks, kind of like the sequel to, Spaceballs, you know, yeah. the search for more money, um, which <laughs> is now Mel Brooks is saying is actually going to happen. We're like, okay, well, you yeah, said that in gonna, the past. Yeah, he says he's going to call it The Farce Awakens. <laughs> no, no, it's going to be, it was going to be um, like Spaceballs, The Search for More Money, but now it's The Schwartz Awakens. Yeah, yeah The like Schwartz that, Awakens, yeah. yeah. Like I said, when I see an IMDb page, with the production listed, then I believe it. <laughs> but Mel Brooks, covers. Mel Brooks is like 92 years old, oh, and yeah. he said that 
in an interview a long time ago, he said, you know, I would make another movie if I got to make it on my terms and work French hours, like start at noon and stop at eight and take like an hour for like a, a lunch or dinner or something like that. But, you know, I mean, he is definitely getting older, so He'd be if he wants to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I really do hope it happens. I love Spaceballs so much. I do, Mel too. Mel Brooks in general. Yeah. It's, he's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm a huge a, they, Mel Brooks fan. They did a Spaceballs uh, animated series. Did they really? Yeah. <laughs> it it Short lived. Like I want to say it was Comedy Central or something. They did like eight episodes. And it was actually pretty funny. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't quite as crude as some of the stuff that happened in the movie just because it came on during the day and the new kids were going to be watching it. Because that's how I found out about it. I walked, I walked in the room and my little girl was watching it. <laughs> I was like, what are you watching? <laughs> oh, it's this cartoon. It's called Spaceballs. I was like, Spaceball? <laughs> you know, I sat down and watched it. And it was like, it actually wasn't bad, you know. So you can that's probably, you funny, probably though. find it on YouTube or something like that. That's kind of funny because it plays into the whole, like, merchandising. Like in the movie, merchandising, merchandising. Yeah. Spaceballs the t-shirt. Spaceballs the flamethrower. I think I, I think I had a t-shirt that, was, that said Spaceballs the t-shirt on <laughs> I mean, I think Disney really, Disney really took that to heart. And when they come out with Force Awakens, because I, I was seeing Star Wars on, on water bottles and Walmart and every little thing, so... The whole reason is, uh, at least before Disney bought it, was because George Lucas, and Sean, you can back me up on this, but he had the rights to the toys and merchandise when they had the rights to the box office and things more on the film side of it. So that's why we saw so much like commercialization of a film that had never been done before. Correct me yeah, if I'm wrong. Oh, yeah. They, no, I that's mean, not right. They made, uh, they made, George Lucas owned all the rights to, basically his contract with the merchandise was drilled down even to the point that he owned the images of the actors. You know, Carrie Fisher made a joke and she made a joke a while back that she can't take a selfie unless she pays George Lucas $10. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he, he, he was really smart when he, uh, when he got that contract because, uh, Fox, when they came out with Star Wars, they didn't think that the merchandise was going to be as big of a deal as it was. And he made way well, more money off merchandise than he ever did off of ticket sales. Well, Alien, um, that had some toys associated with it, but I don't think they ever released them because they thought that movie was too violent for kids. <laughs> they did sort of a, a redo retro action sort of thing where they released some toys of it. But there were never like I remember as a kid I had RoboCop toys and I'd oh, yeah. seen the movie RoboCop, but you know, for me being four years old at the time, like that movie was in way entirely too violent for kids, and I just think like, why were there toys of this? There was a RoboCop like, cartoon. Kids... There was a Saturday morning oh, yeah. cartoon of RoboCop when I was a kid. You know. Yep, he was a weird blue color, I believe. And I wasn't allowed to uh, to watch the movie, but <laughs> but, they, no. but they had a cartoon I, that you could watch. I kind of I kind of sneaked that one when my parents didn't know about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, we all ended up seeing it eventually. You know. But yeah. I think the first time I saw it, it was actually a TV cut, so a lot of the stuff was cut out that I wasn't supposed to see. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hi Chan. You want to do your uh, your last pick? Okay, my last pick um, is Battle Royale. It's actually, um, it was a Japanese movie, but it was actually based on a, Jap- a light novel from 
Japan again. Um, that was later adapted into a manga series and then finally the film. Um, it's a movie about set in like a dystopian future where um, a classroom of kids are kidnapped essentially and then placed on an island and are told to fight each other to the death. And if they don't um, go along with it, then like they have collars around their neck that would explode if they try to escape or if they try to like not play the game or that kind of thing. And it was like this sole commentary on um, reality television and kind of voyeurism and stuff as well as like this burgeoning like crime rates that were happening in Japan at the time that the book was written. So it's um it's a really disturbing, excellent movie. I, again, I actually haven't read the book, but I I read some of the manga and it was pretty good. Manga, if you didn't know, is um the word for like the comic book for, in Japan. Yeah. It's like manga and anime. So it's it's a great film. Um very disturbing and violent, but got some and I, there are a lot of like parallels drawn to it and like the hunger games that came out later although i wouldn't say that they're that similar because battle royale is more about just like this reality show kind of brutal disturbing aspect whereas hunger games has that sort of roman bread and circus thing going for it and it's kind of more filled out in that sort of world than it is in like the kind of social commentary that battle royale brings along yeah Yeah. the the hunger games kind of got some flack when it came out because people were saying it was copying battle royale and i was like well i've seen battle royale and i mean there are some similarities but they're not the same and Mm -hmm. most of the people that are going to see hunger games have never seen battle royale anyway so Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know because it was basically a young adult novel that they were adapting to the yeah the screen but and uh, you, it's much more disturbing watching the get, the kids getting killed in Battle Royale, too. Like, it's all very sanitized in Hunger Games, even though you are watching a bunch of kids killing each other in an arena. But um, Battle Royale really brings forward the brutality and kind of disturbingness of the whole concept. Yeah. So. yeah. Streaming on Netflix. <laughs> yes, oh, is it? it is streaming on Netflix. It's true. That's how I watched it, too. Okay. And there, it actually looks like there's a sequel streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. There's a sequel to the film um, starring some of the same cast from the first film. I mean, obviously, because most of the cast is in the, the characters are dead. Yeah. But um, I, I heard it's not that good. It's kind of more, I like, I guess, along the lines of Hunger Games where they tried to rebel and stuff and like um, sabotage another game. But it's it's a little bit, I haven't seen it actually, but I heard it's not as good. Yeah, they're usually not, especially when it's something that was released straight to video or straight to Netflix or something like that. It's, Key indicator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, Anthony, you want to do your last pick? All right. What we'll are we'll so, some honorable mentions after we do our last picks, if you guys want to do that too. So. That's good, because I have a few honorable mentions that I want to get in in the show. But my last one is based on a comic book. Oh, excuse me, graphic novel. Sorry, nerds. Uh <laughs> That would be Art School Confidential. Yeah. So have any of you heard of this? I haven't, no. I have not. Nobody? Yeah. (laughs) Oh. All right. Well, so basically um, it is a murder mystery that is set at an art school. And being a graduate of art school, I really do have a – probably – I appreciate this movie more than I should, um, but having gone through art school, they got all of the cliche character archetypes down. Like, 
you know, there's the hippie vegan, the feminist, the pretentious filmmaker, the gay fashion designer. There's the, uh, the highly conceptual art teacher that sees meaning in the most simplest of things, which actually is played by John Malkovich. Oh. And he's very, very good in this film. So basically there is, there's a new student that comes to the art school and he's extremely talented and he does very good work, but there is another new student and he does very, very simple kind of like pop art, like really basic stuff that seems like a kid could do it. And everybody loves his work over the guy that's doing like Rembrandt-esque sort of pieces and paintings, things like that. So a lot of frustration and hatred kind of builds up in the main character and while all this is going on, there is there is a murderer, and it's kind of a serial killer where it's been going on for a couple of years. So this kind of ties up that whole murder mystery to the film. But for anybody that's ever gone to art school, you will probably have an appreciation for it more than others. Because the things I have seen and the hatred that I have for most of modern art. Some of it's good, but they really kind of do nail the ridiculousness of it down and some of the things that try to pass for art and some of the people that get it and some of the people that don't get it. And actually, uh, Steve Buscemi has a cameo in this as well. Okay. And actually, that I think he was in Harry Potter. Um, bu- 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 Buscemi? No, 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 no. Another guy, another guy. Oh, I was about um, to say, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Like Potter? I know that David Tennant was in it and uh, a lot of others, but I don't remember Steve Buscemi. It's basically the British Hall of Fame of actors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, um, the other guy was Jim Broadbent. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, in Harry Potter. Ah. So, that guy. Okay. But, yes, hilarious. I uh, don't know if it's streaming on Netflix or any of the other streaming sites, but a uh, very fun watch. So I would say murder mystery, comedy, satire. All right. Sounds good. Okay, well, my last pick is going to be my uh, book-to-film adaptation. And the one that I love, or well, there's a lot of them that I love, but the one that I'm going to talk about is The Godfather. Ooh, nice. Yeah, based on based on the novel, and I'm talking about the first film, based on the novel by Mario, I always want to say Puzo, but I believe it's pronounced Puzo. Um, I've always been into mafia movies. Not because I love gang violence or anything, but it's just... They don't come up on, they don't come up on the show much. Yeah, well, I mean, they, it's not really a fanboy thing to, to talk about. Most fanboys want to talk about, you know, comic book films and stuff like that, but I... I do like the, uh, I don't know, there's something mythical about the whole organized crime business, especially in film. You know, uh, I, I, I was a big fan of The Sopranos when it was on and stuff like that. But uh, because the the heroes in the film are actually the bad guys, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a good twist. You know, I, it's something that I enjoy watching. But The Godfather is probably the most well-known uh, mafia story, most... More recently, we've gotten stuff like Goodfellas, you know, Casino, stuff like that. But the book was actually written in 1969. And if you, if you read it, you find that there's a ton of stuff that they left out of the movie. You know, there's, there's characters in the book that, um, there's characters in the book that didn't, either didn't show up in the movie or they 
were not in it nearly as much. You know, there's a the whole backstory of uh, if you've ever seen The Godfather Part Two, the whole backstory flashback part where um, Robert De Niro plays a young Vito Corleone. Mm-hmm. That whole flashback is actually in the book. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, but they left it out mainly because of time because the the film was three hours long already. You know, so. Um, I thought those they were pretty good decisions. Uh, I didn't feel like they left anything out that actually that absolutely had to be there. Be there, and I think it was uh, mainly because Mario Puzo was one of the script writers. He was the main script writer. So when you're at when you're adapting your own work, you know you can choose what you can leave out and what what you want to add in and things like that. So I love it. I love it when I hear the script is co-written by the author of the book. I don't want to hear that the author of the book wrote the script themselves because I don't think that everybody that's a good uh, novel writer necessarily is a good uh, script writer. You know? Hopefully not J.K. Rowling. Hopefully yeah. she's good yeah. <laughs> for Fantastic Beasts. That's true, that's true. But um, Stephen King comes to mind. You know, he's not Stephen King is a great novelist, but he's not a really great uh, screenwriter. <laughs> But uh Yeah. The and God- he's famously against like the best adaptation of one of his books, The Shining. The Shining that okay, The Shining is a great movie, but not a good adaptation. It's not yeah, a good yeah. adaptation. Yeah. It's yeah. uh it's it's if if I had to make a list of my top twenty five films of all time, The Shining would be in there. Stephen King hated it mainly because it wasn't like what he wrote. You know, they changed mm-hmm. so much stuff. He actually went back and did his own adaptation uh, did yep. like a TV miniseries with Stephen Weber a few years uh, later, or seven, it was a few years later. It was uh, like a couple of decades later, but still. Mm-hmm. But uh, and it wasn't great either. But <laughs> it was a little more faithful to the book. But uh, but the Godfather is uh, it's a, I love the I like the whole trilogy, and then the, the third one is kind of the weak the weakest part of it, but. I watched the whole trilogy at least once every three or four years, and and I've read the book at least twice. There's actually a sequel to the book. Um, Mark uh, Weingartner, if I'm pronouncing his name right, he wrote two books. One of them's called The Godfather Returns, and the other one's called The Godfather's Revenge. And they fill the gaps between the films, like the first one that he wrote takes place between The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two, and then the second one comes after godfather part two and kind of bridges that gap and they're really they're actually really good books that he he wrote them kind of close to the same way that puzo wrote his books so you know if you if you want if you like those movies and you want to hear more about those characters then those those two books are are really good but i i've never i never read the books but i recently by recently i mean the past like three years uh, saw the Godfather trilogy, and you know I don't like mob movies at all, yeah. but I loved it. I love the Godfather trilogy. Um, yeah. It's really it's funny because I'm so kind of against like I don't like almost any of the other mob movies out there. I don't like them, um, but I really really enjoyed the Godfather. And um, there's something very romantic about it, not very in the traditional sense, but the, the the life that they live. Yeah, absolutely. It's very subdued, too, compared to what you typically think of a mob movie, because those uh, tend to go with, like, over-the-top violence. and um, But The Godfather is, like, 
almost classy in a way. It's just like everything is in shadows or done like behind the scenes or something. And if there's a moment of, of violence, it has like, it's part of like a key plot point or something. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was uh, slower and more character driven than some of the stuff that comes out now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really, I really enjoy it. The Godfather. Now the Godfather part two those two movies are kind of the same movie. You 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 kind of if you watch the first one, you kind of have to go on and watch the second one just because they kind of they kind of go along with each other. The third one, I'm not going to call it a bad movie. It's a good movie. It's just kind of like an add-on because it takes place about 20 years later because it came out about 20 years later, and uh, and it doesn't have the same feel of the other two. Um, Al Pacino's character Michael is older. He's a lot harder. He's a lot more cruel. He doesn't have the heart that he had originally because in the original film, he doesn't want to get into this life. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of pulled into it. He's kind of forced into it because there's not anybody else to take over, you know, so. But yeah, that's on, like I said, if I had a, if I had a list of my top 10, that one would definitely be in there. So. Very nice. Well, uh, let's do some, uh, uh, Christina, do you have any honorable mentions you just want to mention briefly? Can they, uh, can they be honorable dismentions? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can, I just absolutely hated the new Ninja Turtles movie. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I really didn't like it. I, I used to watch the cartoon when I was, um, a kid, uh, the one that came on here in like in the early nineties, I guess. Yeah. Um, I really loved it and I just, the idea behind it was really good, but I think the acting was just, it was just so bad. Um, that and like Transformers, there's a lot of, I feel like, um, nerdy comic booky movies are so popular right now yeah. that they're just running with everything. And some of it's, it's sad to see things that are really beloved, like get trashed basically. And some things do really well and some things, you know, yeah. fall off. So. And they'll, they'll make five Transformers films, but we still can't get a decent He-Man film. <laughs> Or a, uh, uh, I'd love to see the Thundercats, you know, come to the screen, but, you know, instead of. So quintessentially 80s, though. It might be a bit hard to turn yeah. into a modern movie adaptation. Yeah, that, that's true. But, you know, I, the, the first Transformers film I thought was, uh, I, I really liked it mainly because of the nostalgia of it, but now they've kind of turned it into its own thing. It's kind of gotten to the point where, if you say Transformers to a kid, they're going to think of the movies and they're not going to think of the cartoon, you know, so, but, you know. That and bad CGI. I feel like there's a lot of bad CGI that's happening in a lot of these movies, too. Like, the Ninja Turtles, their faces, like, were so bizarre. Like, the lips and... Uncanny Valley. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but the, uh, now, if if you've seen the trailer for the new one, Bebop and Rocksteady are on point. I mean, they look, they look like they just stepped right out of that cartoon. Now, I don't know that that may be the only good thing coming out of this new film, but, but they, uh, they look really good. But yeah. Do you have any others, Christina? Uh, no, I think that's, that's it for me. Okay. All right. Hi, Chan. All right, I'll do one honorable mention and then my dismension, I guess, along the lines of Christine. Okay. Um, my honorable mention is Clueless, which is an adaptation of Jane Austen, a modern adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. Um, and it's hilarious and a 90s classic starring Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd. Um, yeah. So funny and great. Love and then it. my dis, yes, always, I can always rewatch it. 
again, streaming on Netflix. Um, There's a documentary about it streaming on Netflix. They yeah, have really? making of it. They had a TV oh. series. Did you ever see the TV series? I did not watch the TV show. I've yeah. seen like some episodes, that, like when I'm like going around on YouTube and I found one. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit too cheesy. Yeah, um, it was pretty yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah, because I like that the first the movie itself was very like. Again, I, I, this is like along the lines of what I like. It's like self-aware, almost kind of satirical in a way, like farcical. Right. Um, whereas like there is no like kind of hints of that in the actual show. It's just like fully embracing that culture rather than actually laughing at it. So, um, but my dismension is a movie that I rarely meant to talk about because I like to think that it doesn't exist. But, (laughs) um, it's Avatar The Last Airbender, the movie adaptation. Oh, yeah. Um, the TV I show... Yeah, TV show is one of... Don't watch the movies. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. TV show is one of my favorite shows, and just because it's an animated uh, TV show on Nickelodeon, a lot of people underestimate it, but it's like some of the best storytelling and characters that I've seen on TV in a while, and like it has one of the best anti-hero arcs I've seen. Um it's it pulls a lot from like eastern asian cultures um a lot of like the fighting styles that they use for it are um derived from like actual fighting styles and and kung fu and karate and stuff but it's essentially about a um a guy a, a figure called the avatar who is able to control all the elements of earth wind fire and air and um he disappears for 200 like 200 years and gets rediscovered in an iceberg um he gets reincarnated every like every lifetime so it's like the new reincarnation of the avatar gets discovered and like at this point the country like the whole world is at war because one of the nations the fire nation um is trying to like conquer the whole world and stuff um and each of the nations are split again by the elements so there's the water tribes the fire nation the earth kingdom and the air temples um and it has like these really great um themes of like the hero's arc and stuff and really great representation for like like the water tribe for example is like eskimos and the earth kingdom is very much in line with like chinese culture whereas the fire nation is a lot like japanese culture um and then like the air temple are like nomads and stuff like um tibetan nomads i think um but the movie is so completely awful because not only does it whitewash the entire cast, yeah. um, except for like the villain who is uh, the Fire Nation villain who is uh, played by Dev Patel, an Indian actor. Everyone else is played by a white actor, so like they have you have like these southern like water tribe Eskimo people who are played by really white kids. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, uh, it's just the, the action is terrible because like one of the most really visually impressive parts of the show is the way that they control can control the elements and stuff and like they they turn like water bending which is what it's the control of the elements is called into like this art form that is both like magnificent and like terrifying um and in the movie like it takes like five people to bend like to throw this one rock at the guy and it's like this tiny rock meanwhile like in the show you see people like creating avalanches and stuff just like by the power of their earth bending right and it's just it's so disappointing the acting is awful i mean you get that with kid actors but awful acting awful script which is somehow possible because like even though the initial story was so great in the show um so i 
it's a completely awful misstep of a movie directed by M. Night Shyamalan. So yeah. another reason. To <laughs> uh, so don't ever watch the movie. I recommend it <laughs> completely. Uh, yeah. My right. hatred of that. Anthony, you have any uh, honorable mentions for us? I do, but before I get into that, the documentary streaming on Netflix titled Beyond Clueless, uh, it <laughs> says, from from the craft of Mean Girls, filmmaker Charlie Lyon reflects, reflects on adolescent angst, friendship, and sexuality in a decade of teen movies. So uh-huh. not entirely about Clueless, but I'm sure it's mentioned in there, but that is streaming on Netflix. I might check it out. All right. Yeah. Beyond Clueless. But anyway, speaking of Francis Ford Coppola, I would say... Bram Stoker's Dracula that he did. Oh, uh, even though yes. Keanu Reeves wasn't my favorite with his accent in that film because he still had a little bit of that surfer accent coming out. <laughs> or he can't get rid whether of that, it. Yeah, yeah wh- whether that was Bill and or Ted, I can't remember which one he played. But he was Ted Theodore Logan. <laughs> the other guy, Alex Winter, he's a documentary filmmaker now. Really? Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Bill S. Preston, Look- Esquire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're, up, they're, actually, they're they're still talking about a sequel. They're actually talking about making a sequel to Bill and Ted. I would yeah. watch that like sequel. a Bill and Ted three. <laughs> which Alex Bill Winter, Alex, Alex Winter would you know he he needs the money more than uh, <laughs> more than Keanu Reeves does, but mm-hmm. Keanu Keanu is all about it. He wants to do it, so we might get it one day. It'd yeah. be nice to see him <laughs> doing something like, like energetic for a change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bill and Ted 3, dropping the kids off at school and paying the mortgage. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, just love that movie, except for the accent that Reeves does in it. Um, Gary Oldman, very good in it, very stylized uh, vampire story. Um, and then I also have, in 1958, there was a guy, excuse me, June 1957, George Langland wrote a short story for Playboy called The Fly, which was then later adapted into a film, which was then later remade to another film with Jeff Goldblum. So I would say the (laughs) Jeff Goldblum Fly. Uh, That is another honorable mention. Yeah. Yeah, very good acting by Jeff in that. I didn't know that that was based off of a short story in Playboy, no less. I know that there are like, a lot of shades of metamorphosis in The Fly. So that's what I thought that it was somewhat of an adaptation of, but that's really cool. Yeah. Yep. It says... Playboy, actually, uh, there's been a lot of stuff that you don't know that it originated from. I don't know if you ever read the the children's story, The Giving Tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first time that it was published. uh, Yeah, it was in Playboy magazine when it it was first published. Really? Yeah. You know, I only read it for the articles, so you know. <laughs> well, you, ha- you have to. You have to now. They don't. <laughs> they oh, don't do yeah. the nudes anymore. This month. This is the first month. Uh, yeah, I it is. Yeah. I actually, I think it came out today. Huh? The first. The first um, non-nude Playboy. You huh? Know, they, you know they, more they, about that than I thought that you would. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know this at all either. They did a really cool kind of like vintage retro throwback thing where they republished the first issue with Marilyn Monroe, and it was it was the first issue. I mean, there was like a little thing in the corner that was like you know 2015 reprint or whatever, um, but it had all the advertisements, all the same articles, and everything from when it was first published. But about the fly, it was 
printed in June 1957, filmed in 1958, and then in 1986. Yeah. So I have that. Uh, another one that I really like, which didn't make the list, was Watchmen. Yeah, that was on my list too. I kind of, I, I, I went, I went, I skipped it. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I, I read the graphic novel. Well, I saw the movie first, and then went to the graphic novel because I liked it so much. And they did so much stuff that was just shot for shot. Like the graphic novel, they could have just cut and pasted that and used it as the storyboards because it was all just not exact. Yeah, so, it was pretty close. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing too. It was just really cool to see it, you know, the same thing on film, and then to see it again in the in the graphic novel. And I'm glad in the film that they cut out that whole Black Freighter side story kind of thing going on because that just wouldn't have fit at all. Yeah, and it was nice to get a, uh, which we don't see it very often now, to get just a one-off super, uh, superhero story that is not going to be part of a franchise, you know, so. They put everything they've got into this one story, and they're not going to leave you with a big cliffhanger saying, well, you'll have to come back in two years and watch the next part of it. You know, the Watchmen is what the Watchmen is. You know, you're going to get the story, and that's it. You know, so. Yep. I yeah, like and- the graphic novel, but um, I don't know how I felt about it being such a close adaptation that I, I felt a little bit like it kind of stifled any sort of creative freedom that the movie had because it was just so close to, to the graphic novel itself. Which, you know, maybe that's just, like, my, my personal preference. I was like, yeah. oh, you know, it was good. It was just so, like, the graphic novel. I didn't feel like I got anything new out of it. Yeah. But. That, I mean, that's a very, very good point to mention, but mm-hmm. I didn't see it. But when they remade Psycho in 1998 with mm. Gus Van Zandt, I mean, that was pretty much, like, Vince Vaughn and Hayes were in that. And from what I hear, that was, like, a shot-for-shot complete remake of the original yeah so done right it can be good but you know it can it can definitely fall apart on you Mm. and another one that i have on the list would be jurassic park and lost world and we kind of went into that a little earlier just for a little bit i believe but the book kind of slow and boring um i didn't need the scene with the t-rex um putting its musk on the hood of the car when they were in the jungle and sort of, you know, things like that just didn't really work for me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but definitely the movie was... I mean, then again, that movie came out when I was like nine years old or something, so that had a huge impact. So probably no matter how good the book was, it wasn't going to live up to me. Yeah, I mean, the first one... The first one is is a typical taking a book and turning it into a movie they have to leave a lot of stuff out the book but has a lot such, of the book but has they did a lot. such a good job of that like with jaws they left out a lot for yeah. jaws oh yeah they, they did a good that. job what i'm saying is that um the book had a lot of scientific talk and a lot of oh yeah what, what star trek likes to call techno babble that <laughs> it, it would not have played well in a in a film i think that they did that though my my thing with the the second one is just that basically Michael Crichton wrote the book because Steven Spielberg asked him to write a book so he could make a movie. But Steven Spielberg was already making the movie while Michael Crichton was still writing the book. So basically they're sharing a title. You know, there's, there's, there's characters in the book that don't show up in the movie. The story is almost completely different. 
you know. So if you if you watch The Lost World, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's a, it's a good movie. If you watch The Lost World and you like it, you can still go and read the book, and you're going to get a completely different story. You know. So, but yeah. But to me, though, for my money, I would go with the movie. I would rather watch the first and second Jurassic Park film. The book was just a little too slow, and like you said, had a lot of techno babble in it for yeah. me. Okay. I've got a few, um, well, I'll just do a couple of my, um, honorable mentions. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> because Saturday Night Live has made some pretty awful movies in their, in their time. You know, we got It's Path the Movie and <laughs> stuff like that. But Wayne's World was actually, they were actually trying to do something decent. And I think the first, the first one especially, uh, has some rewatchability and I, I enjoyed it. Um, also, uh, the equalizer with Denzel Washington was a pretty good adaptation of the TV show, uh, uses the same premise and the same, uh, the character has the same name. Other than that, it's not real similar to the show, but the show came out in the eighties. So you don't want it, you know, it's, it's, it's updated. And I thought they did a good job with that. And the other one that I wanted to mention and I actually didn't put it in my notes, so I may get some stuff wrong with it, but the film adaptation with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it was a good one. And, uh, Meryl Streep. I, it was written by, uh, is it Charlie Kaufman? Is that his name? Yeah. He, um. Oh, adaptation? Yeah, adaptation. It was, it was weird. <laughs> because he's, uh, basically his, his film adaptation is about a writer that is writing an adaptation of a book and the book that he's adapting is a real book in real life. So he actually says in the film that, uh, you know, they want him to add a romance and they want him to add, I think he says something about adding an alligator in there or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and then all that stuff ends up being in the film. And then he writes himself into his own adaptation of a book that he wasn't in and it's, 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 it's really strange, but it's interesting, you know, which is. That sounds very Kaufman. Very, yeah, I was about to say, that's something that he does, you know, with, uh, being John Malkovich, you know, if you, if you explain the plot behind being John Malkovich to someone who hasn't seen it, they're gonna look at you like you're crazy, you mm-hmm. know, but then if you see the film, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is actually pretty decent, you know, so. Yeah, but, but so, do you remember how adaptation starts where it's about, you know, being John Malkovich is in production yeah. and he's writing this and he's like on the set of the other film. Yeah. Yeah. But I just was, love how they did that. And it was good. And then, and then he says sometime in the movie, Oh, they want me to add this and they want me to add this. And they're turning this book into something that it's not. And then by the end of the film, you realize that he's added all those things that they said they wanted him to add. And he's turned this into what they were asking for. But then he ends up writing himself into it. And giving himself a twin that he didn't have in real life, you know. So it's a it's it's interesting. If you like Charlie Kaufman, you'll like it. If you don't like Charlie Kaufman, you're probably you know it's 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 strange. But, but it's yeah. So would you say that? I mean, did you like this or not? Oh yeah, I liked it. I liked okay. it, but it's not for everybody because I watched it with my wife and she didn't like it. Yeah, I kind of I kind of have the same thing. I know Bronson with uh, Tom Hardy's came up on this podcast before and I loved it. But like, you know, the wife, not so much. And I tend to kind of like the more out there kind of films. And 
you know, I'm kind of the only one in the house that enjoys those. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is my favorite movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah that's a good one too. I still love it, and it's like that one. I think straddles the line between kind of like that trippy Charlie Kaufman type of film, and also the um, kind of you know more traditional romance as well. Even though it is told you know backwards yeah. as it is in the film. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, I think we've pretty much uh, covered everything that we're going to be able to cover today. So, uh, Anthony, thank you for being here with me today. Thank you. Have fun editing all this together. Oh, yeah, it's going to take a while. But <laughs> <laughs> hi, Chan. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me again. And uh, hi, Chan is co-host of the Millennial Falcon podcast. Really good, uh, really good show. You ought to give it a give it a shot. You can find it on iTunes and SoundCloud. And uh, where else can you find it? Somewhere else? Uh, yes, we are also. Those are the two places where you can find us on audio, but please follow us also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast and also find us on Facebook, Millennial Falcon Podcast. Alrighty. And Christina, thanks for coming in today. Hope you enjoyed yourself. I did. My first podcast. <laughs> Alright, you're welcome to come back. Thank anytime. you. No problem. Alright, so that's gonna be it for us today and uh we'll talk to you again later and Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you in the future.